With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 8, Episode 11. I am joined in the studio, as always, by our executive producer extraordinaire, Mr. Mike Bussing. Hello. And uh, finally back from computer issues and live and in person here is Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, hey, guys. Glad to have you back. All right. In this week's episode, we uh, we heard from Dr. Cyril Wecht, who is a world-renowned forensic pathologist who reviewed the autopsy and gave us a little information on lividity and time of death. And we talked about some of the things that I found out while I was in Texas at the district clerk's office. So we got a bunch of questions from you guys, and I've got something I want to talk about. So right after a short break, we're going to get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, before we get going on your questions, uh, I, I want to just take a quick minute and try to nip a problem that we're having in the bud. Uh, this is, for those of you who've been around for a long time, this seems to be about a uh, every other season chat that we have to have, um, and, and, and some problems are starting to arise on the, on the fan page. And I just, I just want to put a stop to it now so we don't get into the situation that we were in during like the West Memphis 3 case. And during the Sandy Melgar case. And so I, I, this is kind of, uh, as I've done before, a, a warning to everybody posting on the page uh, that the admins are going to start probably removing some people if some things don't change. And, and before I say that, what I want to make crystal clear is because the, the, the people that where we generally have an issue with someone on the fan page. They they kind of put themselves in a position where if they are removed or muted, that they just say, oh, they don't want anybody in here who thinks that the the subject is guilty. And so they don't like an opposing viewpoint, and so they're gone. That's not it at all. There are many, many people on the page that either are undecided or think that, that Deb Perringer is guilty, and many that think that she's innocent. And also the, the term opposing viewpoint really doesn't fit because I personally am undecided. You know, so the, so I don't I don't have a viewpoint of Deb is innocent, and so someone who thinks she's guilty is not is, is not even disagreeing with me. So that is not the issue at all. But this is the problem. 
and I guess I'll break this down by a conversation I had with Mike Ware while I was in Texas. And for those of you who don't know, Mike Ware is the executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas. He took me out to lunch and wanted to thank me and all of you for all the work we're doing in this case. Uh, it was Mike who asked Allison to reach out to me with this particular case because, as, as he put it, he thought it was the perfect case for crowdsourcing because it, it requires a lot of attention to detail. It requires a lot of expert work, and they just don't have the budget to hire experts. Like, for example, we're going to get into today and, and throughout this this uh, next episode on Sunday, you know, computer experts. They can't just hire all these experts for every case, especially when they're kind of in the review phase. And he's been listening along, and he's just seen that, that we've made leaps and bounds by investigating the facts, and it's exactly why he thought this was a great case for crowdsourcing. It has been. I have been thrilled with how much work has been done by all of you, the listeners all pitching in with whatever your expertise is to to help us move the ball forward. The issue that we're having is that people who who and it's on both sides, but people who have disagreements have have taken the page away from discussing facts, which is not what the and we're talking about the Facebook fan page, uh, which which is not what the page was intended for. It's supposed to be a place where not only we can discuss the case, but that's where a lot of the work is done on the case. And, I, and I've seen these, I'm going to call them tactics, and if you're offended by that, you can just have to be offended by it, because that's how I feel about it. But the, the, the tactic of what, what I would describe as ad hominem attacks, where you know, someone disagrees with facts or evidence or even opinions, and rather than countering those the facts or opinions with facts to support an argument, instead there's like a diversion. You're a conspiracy theorist, or this is ridiculous, or or you know. For, I'll give you an example. There was a group that had basically been saying that I I am not an expert on lividity. I shouldn't really be speaking on lividity when it comes to time of death. We need to bring in an expert. So I go reach out and get an expert. The expert comes in, gives an opinion. These people or this person don't like the expert opinion that he gave. And so rather than, and again, I'm just giving an example of what we want on the fan page as, and what will be allowed on the fan page as opposed to what is not. So what would be allowed would be to say, I disagree with Dr. Wett's opinion because look at this case study, look at these photos. Look at this, you know, here's here's reasons why I don't think his assessment of time of death regarding lividity is accurate. But since that information doesn't exist, then the argument becomes, well, I did some Googling and sometime in the 20,000 plus cases that Dr. Wecht has worked on, one time he worked on a case for the Innocence Project of Texas. And therefore, he's not biased. I'm biased from bringing him in. The conversation then devolves into, you know, this is why I don't like innocence projects because they always find some expert to contradict the original expert. They just get ugly. And as you know, Mike and I were talking earlier today, a lot of these threads we see, they start off fact-based and, and very quickly they end up devolving into name-calling. And I'll also say that there's a lot of people that are usually trying to stick up for me. I Don't do that. I don't, I don't need you to do that. I don't want any of these arguments happening. But when someone insults me on the page, and then a lot of you, which I can appreciate the sentiment, come in and try to defend me, then it turns it into this weird argument where we're arguing about 
me and my integrity. Often reverts to name calling between each other. And it's just not productive. I do not need anybody to, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't need anybody to do that. What I want is factually based arguments. We've also had problems with people coming on the page and blocking everyone with a with an opposing view. And that may not seem like a big deal, but the end result of that is they end up creating posts that are, are you know, whatever their opinion is, and it becomes this echo chamber. And then when new listeners come in, they look at the, they're seeing all these posts with everyone, you know, just agreeing with this person's sentiment or this person's post. When in fact, everyone who disagrees with them has been blocked and doesn't know the post exists. We also have a lot, have a lot of fake profiles that have come in, people that aren't operating under the, and that's in the rules for the group. And, and so, so basically what I'm saying is the tolerance level is going to go down. And I'm not even saying that it's gotten excessive at this point. It's just for those of you that are new and maybe some of you are maybe fitting into some of these categories that I'm talking about right now. We have seen this before. Yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah. And, and so we can see after, after five years of doing this and hundreds of thousands of posts on that page, we can see if we don't put a stop to this now, where it's going to go. And then the page becomes an ugly place where people don't want to participate and people don't feel comfortable, comfortable engaging in conversations. So on both sides, stick to the facts. If you have a disagreement, it should be if someone says, I believe this is what happened. A proper response, and I, I apologize for sounding like I'm talking like to kindergartners, but I'm just trying to be as clear as I can. A proper response is, I disagree with you because of this evidence, not you're wrong and you're a conspiracy theorist, and none of that is necessary, and it's not productive. What I want to continue happening in the fan page is for us to work towards finding the truth. And there's a ton of great work in there, but it's getting mucked up and muddied up by all of these other arguments and conversations. And I, and again, I, I apologize for sounding like I'm talking down to you, but if it makes you feel better, I'm also talking down to myself because I have gotten sucked into some of these conversations when, when I shouldn't have. So I'm, I'm slapping my own wrist at the same time, but we're just, we're done with it. At this point, you know, there, there's, if, if these things are happening, people are just going to be removed from the group. And they'll, as usual, we'll go to another group and talk about how they got removed because they disagreed with the narrative or they didn't support me. That's not the reason. That has nothing to do with it. We are just trying to make that group a workspace where we can move closer to the truth and not get bogged down by a bunch of things that really have no relation to the case whatsoever. So that is my once every two years talk about the fan page. I know a lot of you heard before. Thanks for putting up with it. And, uh, and again, I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me not to have that conversation and not sound like I'm being condescending, but all I can tell you is to, um, just trust me when that's not my intention. You know, and like you mentioned, I want to point out again that usually the conversation on the fan page is good and there are people with differing opinions that can have a civilized chat about it. And I think most of our listeners know that and are aware of that and practice that. I think we're talking about a minority of people here. I just wanted to yeah, make exactly that clear. Right. Yeah, there's I think there's 11,000 people in the fan group and there's probably 12 people that are but if you look through the page you see and again when I say that we've seen the and I'm going to stop this I know I'm rambling on but what what I see when we're looking through an analyze trying to figure out what's going on on the page it's like the same 6 10 people that are in every single post and every time there's a productive conversation going it they come in and it veers off another direction so so that's it we're just going to put a stop to that and also, I'm going to put the I'm going to go ahead and say this: my last word on the subject. I promise, we're not having t we're not having further discussions on the fan page about this discussion. 
because that's usually the the next thing that happens is there'll be fifty thousand posts on the on the group complaining or happy about or cheerleading for whatever I just said. We're just going to move on. So if you're if you're if your intention is to go post about your disagreement with what I just said, I wouldn't because you'll probably be removed about five minutes later. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's get to our first question. This one's from Evan. Do you think it's reasonable to use the autopsy report to suggest 1 p.m. might be the time of death? It seems like a massive stretch to move before 3 p.m., and even that seems to require some imagination, according to Dr. Wecht. Or do you think the coroner's report is just wrong in describing no frontal lividity? Well, one thing we should point out is, of course, that is a possibility. All of this with the lividity could be in vain if Pirwani was just wrong. But, but we can't assume that he was wrong. We can't assume that he did the autopsy and just got it wrong about it. So all we can work off is what we have. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have autopsy photos. We're trying to get autopsy photos so that we can do a better job. There's a black and white photo from one of the TV shows that circulated around where it looks like you can't really see lividity, but I've studied lividity enough to know that you're not going to be able to tell from a black and white photo. You need, you need a color photo to really see because uh, there's, there's pressure marks and different things that all, all play into it. So you really need a color photo to get a better look at it. As far as the time goes, I want to explain with, with Dr. Wecht what, what we were trying to – number one, I wanted his opinion on lividity. And, and essentially, he says, okay, if 1 a.m., she's still face down before she's flipped and lividity hadn't fixed at that time, he pushed back to what he uses as a 10-hour window and says that, that takes us back to 3 p.m. would probably be the earliest she could have been dead for lividity not to fix. And you know, not that that's the most likely time, but that's as far back as we can push it. And then, and then some people on the fan page have asked, well, why – you know, did you then ask him, could you push it back further to one to 10, which understand, you know, understand what I'm trying to figure out is, could Deb have done this? Could this have occurred before the state acknowledges that Deb has left the building and she's gone? And, and, and what he said was, you know, I think that the term the listener here says is, is you know, you, you have to use a lot of imagination to get that far. You can go back to one, as he, I think he said his words, that, that's a stretch, but you could. And that's why, and that's when I mentioned textbook and stuff, because that's what the books say is that the range can go to 12 hours. The, what I, the way I interpreted what Dr. Wecht was, was, was giving us is that range, that four to 12 hours is, is a wide range because of factoring in every other, every single possible scenario that, you know, usually it's, you know, probably six to 10 hours around eight hours. But it can be 10. And as I said, it can be 12. But there would have to be some extreme circumstances probably to get to a 12-hour window before lividity fixes. Um, and then, I, you know, could it be 10 in the morning? Could it be 11? And he said, no, that, that's, that's going too far. And I, I, the reason I kind of wanted to see if it can be pushed up past 3, like up to 1 o'clock, is because, you know, Lloyd was supposed to be to work at 2. So presumably, the attacks at least started before, say, 1.30. 
because he would have left for work otherwise. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's when they died. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's when Agnes died, if that's when Lloyd died. But th- that's all we're trying to do is, is to narrow down a window and more specifically trying to figure out when the earliest time possible, based on the one piece of scientific data and evidence that we have, suggests that how early it could be. So lividity, we know, does have a hard range. And at the very, very, very outset of that range would be 12 hours, puts it back to 1 p.m. Uh, that doesn't mean that she was killed at 1. It doesn't mean that, that she was killed at 1.30, or it doesn't mean that she was killed at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. You know, it just means it, it, it's possible to say that she died at 1, but really not possible to say she died at you know, noon or 10 a.m. But again, there's also the possibility that's been thrown around, I and mean, we can't discount it, is the fact that it could be that the autopsy was completely wrong. And if that's the case, then the lividity info that we have really wouldn't affect time of death at all. Yeah, I hate to assume that, but that's kind of where I've been questioning it myself, is the possibility that it was just a mistake on the autopsy, that possibly he just wrote it down wrong. Because that is a lot, I don't want to say that's more likely, but that would explain a lot. Yeah, I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe that something that, I mean, that's, pretty basic it was, it, it was no it really is hard to assume that that is what yeah. happened but it would explain a whole lot if it was a mistake on that end right so you know, in regards to time of death then if we go back to what we know so let, let's let's say Pirwani was wrong mm-hmm. and she had fixed frontal lividity or on the side or patchy lividity whatever mm-hmm. something consistent with her being laying face down for a period of time so what that tells us is probably that means she died at least, say, four or six hours mm-hmm. from the time she killed. Because that's the other end of that, right? But th- that, you know, it's one in the morning. So that doesn't, that doesn't really help us. That gets us back to, you know, four or five in the afternoon. We know she was dead by then. So then basically, lividity becomes, becomes useless if, if he's wrong. So then we're, then we're left with, we know when Agnes left the grocery store approximately we think uh, uh 10 20 a.m we know she wasn't home until 10 till 11 or so and that's at the earliest and then we have the computer shut down at 11 19 that, that that was done obviously before the attack or at least mm-hmm. in my opinion i don't know what do you think about that as far as the computer shutdown yeah the soft I, shutdown i, I would computer. say it was the theory you came up with with agnes shutting it down to go to bed makes the most sense to me is the actual sh- if it's a yeah if it's a true shutdown where you had to go in start menu yeah. shut down then that makes the most sense because i don't know why the killer would have done that and then ripped it off the table exactly if you're not if you're not worried about that you just rip it off the table and unplug it right yeah and, and, it, and it was very and i believe it was in the trial testimony the computer forensic expert was very specific that the person went in woke the computer up Hit start, hit shutdown, confirmed, mm-hmm. and then put it through that whole shutdown process. So, so that's eleven nineteen. So, in my opinion, at eleven nineteen a.m., with a high degree of certainty, we can say that both Agnes and Lloyd are still alive, and the attacks hadn't happened yet at eleven nineteen a.m. And then from there, we have you know was was Agnes asleep? You know, how long was she in bed? You know, if she didn't hear the attack, there's a lot from there. There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of anecdotal evidence that we can put in. Well, I, you know, people, well, I don't think she would take a nap when her daughter was there. But like you said, my grandma would totally take take a nap Mm -hmm. or my mom would when when I'm at the house. And would she be how hard of a sleeper? was We just don't know. Yeah. So we know that we can at least say 1119. Now, with the lividity evidence, 
If we say we know for a fact she's alive at 1119, and we know the earliest she could have been killed then is one, and we know that Lloyd had to be to work at two, then that that window of opportunity for when she was killed, it ends up being like you know between one and say 145. But because if we're if we're throwing out the lividity, we're still at eleven nineteen a.m., which in my opinion still throws has a problem for the state. You know if they're if they're saying Deb's gone at noon, and we know Agnes is alive at eleven nineteen, then I just I just can't see. What do you think about timing wise? Do you think that someone could have initiated the attack at eleven nineteen and be out the door by noon with everything we know about the crime scene? From what we know about the crime scene, I, it would be hard to say. It, it seems like you could physically do the attack. You know, I mean, it seems uh, like that, that is a feasible amount of time to attack both of them, kill both of them, get out the door. But I feel like it's going to be messy. You're going to leave a right. lot of trail. You're going to, you know what I mean? There's not going or, to be. We also know that they packed up all the handles to the pans. Mm-hmm. So they went through and, re- and retrieved those. Yeah. It, it, so if we're talking about Deb. Mm-hmm. That she left with, well, we know if it was Deb, she left without any blood on her because her car was luminol. There isn't a drop of blood found anywhere in her car. Mm-hmm. You got the the trash bag. You got the note that was stabbed into the leg. Remember, there's there's drawers pulled open in the in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Agnes's purse contents dumped out. You know, so you know again if this is if this is uh, not some robber, mm-hmm. but it's it's Deb. Well, she probably wasn't ransacking the house before she killed them. Yeah. So these are things that happen after. But see, I, I just feel like, and again, this isn't for Deb. This is just in general. I feel like it wouldn't take a terrible amount of time. That okay. They're both elderly people. I'm saying a person of my stature. Right. If I were to go into this house, person of my stature, I'm a big guy. Yeah. They're both elderly people. I, I don't feel like it would take a long time to commit this right because they're not going to overpower me they were not going to struggle with me a lot right in this case we do know the killer it took them 75 blows to kill them okay but still i mean how how long would that take five to seven minutes maybe you know yeah i I don't know i don't know the answer to it because i don't know how quickly it happened you know you've got Mm -hmm. obviously trips to and from kitchen you got multiple pans you got a table broken Mm -hmm. and hit you know and then how long between who knows but it, when you when you break it down, I guess I, in my head when I break it down because because I deal with time a lot. Yeah, is I think about five minutes. Uh-huh. Five minutes sounds very quick, but when you're in a moment of five minutes, five minutes is an eternity. Right. Unless you're trying to deliver a five minute comedy routine in under five minutes, and <laughs> some goes, people can't do it. Goes by real quick. But in my head, five minutes is an eternity. I mean, you can uh-huh. do a lot in five minutes right. realistically. So that's where I think about that. Again, now with saying that it's Deb. It might be a little harder to, you know, she's, she's little, she's overweight. She's going to be slower. She's not going to be as powerful. You know what I mean? There's, there's right. things. Well, that's what we're looking at. When we're looking at the noon, that 1119 to noon window, mm-hmm. we're talking about Deb. Yeah. Because they say she's gone at noon. Mm-hmm. And also they don't say she's gone at noon. They say she's gone By before noon. noon. You know, before, you know, at 1157 is when uh, Mabel says she gets home. Deb's gone. Mm-hmm. Joe says she thinks she left sometime that morning. Doesn't remember if he saw her leave, but he knows for sure she was gone by noon. So. You know, she could have been gone at 11. She could have been gone at 10.50. She, who knows? Uh, but yeah, but, but we're talking about Deb at this point. So mm-hmm. so could Deb have pulled this off? Be tough. Yeah. I got a quick question. Uh-huh. Uh, the TV was on when police arrived at the house, right? Right. What channel was the TV on? Good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that. We could probably look at the crime scene video and see what was on the TV. 
Yeah, because just by seeing what channel was on the TV, you can try to put together what uh, popular TV shows were on the TV guide for early that day and try to pinpoint when Lloyd sat down to watch it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you know, if it's on uh, a certain channel, you know, whatever, if, if it's say it's on channel 16 and at, you know, at 1 p.m., the soap opera started on channel 16, you know, maybe, well, we can't know for sure, but you would think maybe that's probably something that Lloyd wasn't watching, you know, but if uh, Bonanza was on. Right, exactly. I'm really stereotyping there, so I don't mean yeah, to do that, but, I, but I just just following in your train of thought. Yeah. And the other thing I had, see, these are things that I'm thinking of that could help us to make a better decision, but like, I'm also weighing them against like how they would hold up legally uh-huh. or any, you know, in uh, any other form other than the, to help the podcast out. But the other thing that comes to mind is uh, if uh, Agnes had a diary where she logged her daily routine, mm-hmm. just, just a, another way for us to, to maybe look back and see that. Every day, every weekday, she takes a nap at this time, and Lloyd watches TV at this time, just right. for whatever reason to help us connect the dots. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. I mean, you said to help the podcast, but really, I would say to help the investigation. Yeah, it's uh, you know, things like that maybe don't work in court, but again, that's not our job. We're not lawyers, right? You know, we're just our job is to figure out what happened, right? You know, and then and then hopefully find actionable evidence along the way. Uh, I've, I haven't seen any or heard anything like that. You know, I've been. You know, unfortunately, where we're at with as far as the daily habits of Agnes and Lloyd, our best source of information is their daughter, who was there most days or a lot of days. And and unfortunately, and I'm not saying that Deb would lie or is lying, but when you have the person that's convicted, who you know it, it, it's it's advantageous to them to give certain information, they're, they're just they have they have too much to gain by it, so or too much to lose by it. And so you can't really trust him because because she has said in letters to listeners that her mom would take like she called it a power nap like every every afternoon, but I can't accept that. And again, it's, it's nothing against Deb. It doesn't matter who it is. I can't accept that from the person who's sitting in prison. Who, if she was taking a power nap, it might help them get out of prison. You just can't be held up as reliable. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Barbara says, can you review again the stomach contents of Agnes and Lloyd and the impact on their time of death? I mean, the stomach contents are pretty easy. Agnes's stomach was empty and Lloyd had partially digested bananas in his stomach. And that would very much help us narrow down the window as far as time of death if we had any way of knowing when they ate. You know, so the theory or hypothesis that's thrown around that I've thrown around is you know, they probably both got up, ate breakfast together. So say that was seven o'clock. If that was the case by 10, 11 o'clock, their stomachs would be empty. My theory is that the um, bananas in Lloyd's stomach very well could have come from the bananas that Agnes just got at the grocery store. And then them being partially digested again, if that's the case, pushes us back depending on the in how partially digested they were. Because it would take time to eat the banana and then for them to start to digest before he died. So if she gets home at just before 11, 
and he's had time to eat a banana and then it's 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 partially digested in the in his stomach contents you, know, you might be able to push that back an hour from then but but the problem is we just don't know when they ate and he could have ate the last banana they had in the house too. exactly right yeah Sarah says, whose responsibility would it have been to take the body temperatures at the crime scene and assess the degree of rigor mortis and liver mortis? That would be the coroner or medical examiner that that was on the scene. Um, But I was talking to Allison about that. There's a lot of states that don't require a coroner's report from the scene. And evidently, Texas is one of them. So I'm used to in Michigan, I have friends that are that are that are medical examiners. Um, and it's not an ME like Dr. Wecht who does autopsies. These guys, these are guys that are, that are paramedics that get certified to be MEs and their job is to go to a fatal incident and they take, they do a number of things. They take a liver temperature. They, you know, they, they do those assessments, you know, they, they strip them down and check for, for lividity and for rigor mortis. And they, they, they take fluid from their eyes for some reason. I don't know why that is, but that's one of the things they do. They take fluid from their eyes. But so it would be like a coroner or an ME. And the problem here is we don't know. I mean, there's there's notations that that someone from EMS or and I think somewhere in, even in um, Hardy's notes it says something about a medical examiner or an ME of some kind or coroner coming to the scene and pronouncing them dead. But that's it, and we don't have any report. We don't have the EMS report. We don't have, and this is all. And I've been through all the files searching for these. We don't have an EMS report. We don't have a coroner's report. We don't have anything from the scene, and it's never noted. So I don't know if there was a report generated. There certainly should have been a report generated at least by EMS. And, Mike, you and I know that from, I mean, every call gets a report. You know, it doesn't matter how small or trivial it was. You still have to file a report for every incident. So there should be something with that. And that's, that's again, one of the things that I requested in my follow-up FOIA request. Jenny says, is it possible to get or do you have gases, notes, or reports from the scene? In an interview, he stated they noted, quote, mild rigor. Coupled with Lloyd not being dressed for work, that put the time of death earlier for them in their timeline, and that notation regarding mild rigor might be in those notes. A couple things. One, uh, no, we don't. And again, that's something that I put in my follow-up FOIA request to Fort Worth PD. So I don't have have Gas's report at all. Uh, And and I don't have any notes from him. I don't have anything from Gas other than this trial testimony. And I did see where he, you know, he, he said that there was mild rigor in the body and there's, there's a window of time with mild rigor too, but you know, he's not medically trained. At what time did he check the rigor? You know, was that at six o'clock or was that at one in the morning? All that depends. So we don't know uh, unless we saw his report, but I also want to point out she, she, in her state, in her question there kind of stated as fact that Lloyd is not dressed for work. I, it, at the very least, that's not a fact. So I don't want people to get confused by it because. There have been statements by officers, I think, at some point that say Lloyd didn't appear to be dressed in his work clothes. And that, in my opinion, help, helps with the narrative for the police that Deb did this because it pushes the time back earlier. But then there are also several reports of, or at least a couple that I've read from people that worked with him said he was in his normal work clothes. And we have pictures of Lloyd at work wearing just a polo shirt, collared shirt, and some slacks. And what he was wearing was, you know, there was he was wearing slacks and a, a button-up shirt, just like he is in the other photos. So I don't know. So I, I don't see how anybody could say that he's not in his work clothes. I guess you could say maybe he put on a different a different set of work clothes, but that would mean he got up, got cleaned up, got dressed in slacks and a in a button-up shirt, 
to sit at home and watch TV only to then go change into what different slacks and a different button up shirt to go to work. So I, I just, I'm not saying that he was for sure in his work clothes, but we also can't say that he wasn't in his work clothes. And also I, I want to point out that, you know, we, we have to be careful what we are again, assuming is fact. So gas has given, I only watched snapped. Did you watch any of the other ones besides snapped? I did not. Okay. So you saw Gas was like the main voice that was doing most of the interviews there. Mm-hmm. And he said some things. And some of the things we know for a fact are not accurate. A lot of people are, are looking. So I think he said, you know, oh, we showed the composite to everyone in the neighborhood. There's no, there's no record that that happened. And in his defense, he's, he's working from, you know, 20-year memory when, he, when he's saying that stuff. You know, Gas also said that, you know, like, like he said that for months in that interview, he said for months, the prime suspect was the man in the backyard, and that was their primary focus. Well, and that we know for an absolute fact was not true. We can see from the police reports, we can see from the notes from, from calls to Leanne Dofino at the, at the courthouse that we know that Deb was absolutely the prime suspect. And, and in that interview, he made it sound like they were looking into this guy in the backyard for months. He was their focus. And then they alibied that guy, and then the DNA came, and then they're like, oh, maybe it's Deborah." when that's absolutely not the way it happened. So when we know that, you know, when he's saying things like that, we can't just take the fact that he said this off the cuff without any documents to back it up, that it's, that, that it's absolutely certain. So j- just, just keep that in mind when you're watching these shows. And also, he has no control over how they're editing what he's saying either, which I know from working in that industry. So just keep that in mind. Everything you're seeing on TV isn't necessarily taken as fact when it comes to the case. What we need are, you know, we have we have documents and records and statements and photos and evidence from that time that we can work off of. Lara says, will there be an episode focused solely on Brenda and her daughter and boyfriend and Agnes's comments about them? We will at some point do an episode on Brenda and, and family. It's hard to find any information on it. You know, we have, you know, our, for sources of information, I have Deb, which same issue as before. We have the little bit that was done in the police files, which wasn't much. And then, you know, we have Deb's cousin, Judge Dofino, who can give me information. But, you know, and not to say that she would ever do this, especially, she's, I mean, she's a judge, but she believes Deb's innocent. So you know, it, it, it's hard to find unbiased sources. You know, and like I said, I'm not saying Deb would be biased and not tell the truth. I'm not saying that Judge Dofino would be biased and not tell the truth. But it's just it's hard to find good sources of information that you can't put any bias onto when it comes to Brenda. But, but we'll talk a little bit more about her as we, as we move along, for sure. Jeanette says, what was Brenda and her family's alibi, especially given a later time of death, than what police said? Um, I don't know. And I guess I'll have to go back through the notes, but my, un, my recollection at this point, I mean, I haven't looked at Brenda as a suspect, really. Um, but from what I've seen in the report, I haven't seen anywhere where their alibis were confirmed. Or even that they gave an alibi, other than, I guess, maybe work. Um, but I don't recall in any of the documents where their alibis were checked, which is why I, I assumed maybe why they brought them in for the polygraph. I mean, there's no reason to bring them in for a polygraph to see if they're involved if they had rock-solid alibis and couldn't have been involved. Unless, again, we're talking about a murder-for-hire situation. Mike has a question. He writes, can you talk more about the threats made to the Courtney's and what is known? You know what I know at this point. You know, I had heard that there were threats coming in. Uh, but, but one thing that I picked that I thought was important, and I, I, I want to hear Zach's take on this too, 
But in in those notes where you have the two friends that are having dinner with Agnes, and Agnes tells them that they had been getting threatening phone calls and that they they were having police surveil their house because of these threatening phone calls, it puts a very different context in when they go to the house and talk to Deborah and tell her what happened. And she says, oh, I was a, we were afraid this was going to happen because my dad had been being threatened. If, in fact, he was being threatened and recently, and it was known enough that they had surveillance on their house, then you know, all of a sudden that's not such a suspicious statement really at all because the, the threats were actually occurring. And I do, and before I see Jack, Zach's ready to jump in, but uh, real quick before that, I also want to point out that's another topic that's come up uh, in discussions about this on the fan page was there were no threats because the DA said there were no threats. Well, I would say the credibility of the DA is the same as credibility of, of Depp. Again, not, not suggesting that they're not credible, but they also have a, a reason to spin things in their, in their favor. And so what they're referring to is, is I believe it was Welchel, the, the DA, gave an interview on Snapped and said that there were, there were no threats. There's no records of any threats. Well, that may be true, but again, I'm, I am not going to state that as fact that there were no threats. If that was the case, what are we calling Agnes a liar? But it didn't, she didn't say just that people were threatening. She said they contacted the police and the police were surveilling their house. Yeah, if there's police surveillance, it seems like there has to be some sort of record of that. Or at least, well, I th- I think the opposite. I think there may not be record of it because well, he's a cop. So all he's got to do is is tell his buddy, you know, tell the police department what's happening, and they might say, okay, we'll make sure we have patrols go by a couple times a day. You're, I mean, I guess you're right. There wouldn't be necessarily like a formal documentation, but you don't think that that one of those officers could have came by or came forward and said, yeah, he he asked us to do this for sure. If somebody had asked, but there's no record. You, you're yeah, you're right, but there's no record that anybody asked mm-hmm. any of the officers. That I've seen, you know, like, like nobody, and, and nobody has ever made a deal about it. this wasn't information that was, it was made public news during the investigation. It, it didn't even come out to the defense side of trial mm-hmm. that, that this even happened. It was, this was just buried in a little police note. Yeah. And see, that's where I, I guess that's where I sit on it is if the threats are real, which they saw, I mean, if Agnes is telling people that they're receiving threats and they are wanting police surveillance, it seems like that somebody could have came forward. And, and I, Again, if this isn't information that's out there, that's one thing. But it seems like we could still have somebody come forward to, that was a police officer to say, right? yeah, they asked me to come by their house or drive by their house or right, or, or that's a normal neighborhood that we would drive through more. Mm-hmm. You know, the neighborhood I live in, in, in the town that I live in, we have a, a heavy police presence in our neighborhood. They cruise that, through four or five times a day. Exactly. Where I know they don't do that through a lot of other parts of town. Right. So is that something that they would normally do there? Or, is, or are they... If it's not, then it, then I feel like a police officer would say that, that they were driving through there more often. Yeah. Well, again, my, my point would be that they wouldn't, I don't think any of the police officers would know that that was an issue. You know what I mean? So like, like because it's just in a note somewhere mm-hmm. that Agnes told her friends that it was under surveillance, the officers that were surveilling their house don't know that people don't know that they were, or that it was an issue, you know, to, to, to come forward. Whereas if somebody went on the news and they were like, or, or, or made a request mm-hmm. to the police department who was doing surveillance on their house. Then maybe they'll come forward. I just, I think that it's, and I, and I think now really thinking back, the DA did kind of choose his words carefully when he said, there's no record of that happening. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, that could also be the same, that there is no surveillance. That could be a thing that 
that Lloyd just told her that said, true. Oh, we're getting threats. And he goes, I'll, I'll tell somebody to watch our house. Right. Just as a, a push off. Couples do that all the time, whether it's a, a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband. To they'll make tell them, them whatever better. they want them to hear to make them feel right. better. So th- that 100% is a possibility. But that, but if that's the case, that doesn't mean there weren't threats. Correct. You know, which is really what we're looking for here. As far as what I was about to say with the the DA saying there's no record of it, if you were being threatened Mm -hmm. and you called the police and asked for surveillance in your house, there absolutely would be a record of it. But if a police department employee goes into the department and says, these people are threatening me, can we have somebody drive by? And the sergeant says, all right, yeah, we'll have somebody, you know, keep an eye in your house for, for a little while. I could totally see there not being a record of that. Okay. An official record. That's a long answer. The short answer is, no, we don't have any records of what kind of surveillance there was. All we have is, you know, depending on where you feel about the issue, either there were threats and they were concerning enough that at least Agnes wanted surveillance on the house and was told there was, or Agnes was lying. And you're going to believe the DA who says there's no record of that happening. Which I don't necessarily think this is black and white in that. As I said, as, as we kind of as we as we unpacked this, I think that the DA could be telling could be absolutely telling the truth, saying there's no record of it, but it still doesn't mean it didn't happen. Laura says, "I recently watched the crime scene video. Can I just clarify the crime scene wasn't cleaned up before, was it? It was so unruffled. How the hell did that vast collection of ornaments on the dresser not end up crashing all over the place? The things that were on the floor looked strategically placed." I completely acknowledge that it would have been hard to bring two bodies into the house unnoticed, but it just doesn't look like a struggle took place here. Are we 100% sure that this is where they were killed? In my opinion, I'm 100% sure that's where they were killed. I mean, I I don't think there's any way that anybody would kill them remotely and then haul their bodies back into into the house. We have blood spatter patterns on the couch and the wall in the living room, the floor, uh, the wall by uh, by the phone. And in the in the bedroom, remember the cast iron pan thrown into the wall? Yes, 100% they were killed in the house. As far as the struggle goes, you got to look closely. You know, people think that if there's a if there's a struggle and a fight in the house, that that means necessarily we're, it's like me and Zach having a sumo wrestling match and we're going to knock over everything in the, in the house. You know, you look at the, you know, the couch, the, uh, you know, the, the coffee table being pushed out at a 45-degree angle, and the contents of the coffee table on the floor, the computer knocked down, the sheets pulled over, the blood spatter or the blood patterns behind the door in the, in the bedroom. Like those, those are all evident of a struggle, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were just banging into every single wall, knocking all the ornaments off. And I have to say that I think it's probable for a perpetrator to get out of that house unseen get in and get out of that house unseen in the middle of the day. But I find it extremely improbable that a perpetrator could get two bodies back into the house oh, in the I, middle of the day. I a hundred percent agree with you. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you, park. Yeah, no, I don't think that that I, I, I the answer to the question is hundred percent. I think Zach and I both agree they were killed mm-hmm. in the house. And also a side note, uh, your little comment about you guys, sumo wrestling, just for all the listeners out there, that has actually happened before. <laughs> right. And, and had there been, it was at a little bar up north, and had there been any porcelain in any of those walls, it would have been smashed. All right. This one's from Holly. Do we have any updates about the DNA and or other documents that might have been left out of your FOIA request? No, not at this point. I mean, I'm still, 
The problem we have is I filed the subsequent uh, FOIA request to the, the Fort Worth PD, and they are not taking, they're not processing any, we couldn't even go in there. Alice and I were intending to go in there to do an evidence review, and they won't even do that. Even for an attorney, they wouldn't let us go in and look at evidence right now. They're just because of the quarantine or the, the pandemic, they have no one working in the records division right now. So we, we'll, hopefully we'll get them, but who knows when. All right, and our last question comes from Lynn. Listener Matthew Daly has analyzed the computer forensics and Microsoft Word found on the Courtney's computer. What conclusions have you reached from the information regarding the note? So this is a perfect example of what I was talking about at the beginning of the show today, that our listeners have done some amazing work. What they're talking about with with Matthew is I found uh, the, the full computer forensic report which looked like Greek to me. It looked like file trees and just things that I didn't understand what any of it meant. I threw it up and asked listeners who knew computers to take a look at it and see what they could figure out. Matthew was one of the many that did it. And he was able to find some verifiable evidence that gave us some information about the computer, the font, and the note that is very important, more important than you think. Uh, I, I, will, I will leave you with this because we're going to discuss this on Sunday. There was something that I had found early this week that I thought very possibly incriminated Depp. Very much so. But based on Matthew's information, I now have a different outlook on that situation, and I'll be reporting on all of that on Sunday. So make sure you tune in. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. 
You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>